Good morning, buenos dias, and welcome to Crosspoint Christian Church. We are so happy to have each and every one of you here this morning. Uh, we welcome those that are listening online today through the internet. Uh, all are welcome to be with us today. If you'll take out your bulletins inside, you'll find a, a handout. We're calling today's message, Rejoice in the Freedom of the Resurrection. Rejoice in the freedom. He is risen. What I love about that video is that box was empty just like the tomb was empty on the third day because our Lord was risen. Today we celebrate the focal point of history, the greatest event that ever happened. You say, well, why is it so great? Well, you know what? It split history. We went from B.C. to A.D. because of this great event. Do you realize that every time you write a check and you date it, 2018 from what? 2018 from the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We remember God with us. Well, why is that such a big deal? Why is the resurrection of Jesus such a big deal? Because of who he claimed to be. He claimed to be God. You try that. See what people think of you. They're going to they're gonna call for the men in the white suits, man, to come and take you away. You start claiming to be God. Unless you can back it up. And Jesus Christ backed it up with what? The miracles that he performed. The blind could see. The lame could walk. The deaf could hear. He backed it up and he said, here's the greatest miracle to back up who I claim to be. They're going to kill me. They're going to bury me. But you come back in three days, that tomb will be open and that tomb will be empty because of my resurrection power. Resurrection's a big deal, folks. Did you know that Jesus, when he was here, he raised three dead people from the grave. In other words, he brought them back to life again. Three dead people in over a three-year period of time. But it wasn't a resurrection for them. They were brought back to life only to what? Die again. Jesus was brought back to life in a resurrection never to die again. And the Bible makes it clear that if you're in Christ, guess what you receive? His resurrection power to never die again. Are you getting this? That's why this is such a huge event. And the Bible makes it clear how you get into Christ. Ah, oh, we want you in Christ today. If you're far from God, Jesus is calling you to the empty tomb. He's calling you to faith. He's calling you to believe this message you're going to hear this morning. I'm going to share the message. Mike is going to wrap it all up with an invitation. And I hope you're going to come today. Our elders are going to be in place to meet all of your needs. Someone says, well, you know, I heard some fishy stories about that resurrection of Jesus. Well, what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm not so sure he really raised himself from the dead. Oh, really? Well, then how did he get out of there? I would suggest to you this morning that there are only three possibilities. Possibility number one, the friends of Jesus 
stole the body and made it look like a hoax? Well, let's look at the evidence. The evidence would suggest that they wouldn't do that because they were afraid. Where were the disciples when Jesus was being crucified? They all ran, didn't they? What did Peter do three times? I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't. He denied three times. And besides that, they were not only scaredy cats. There was a, a Roman guard placed at that tomb so that very thing could not happen. And where are fishermen going to get, scared fishermen going to get the courage to go fight Roman guards that put a seal on that tomb that said, you touch this seal, you're going to die. Now, the friends of Jesus could not have stolen the body. Impossible. Well, if the friends didn't do it, well, then maybe it was the enemies of Jesus. Yeah, that's it. The enemies of Jesus stole the body. Well, stop and think about this for a moment. The whole point of the enemies of Jesus was to do what? On the third day, go to the tomb, produce a body, and say, there's your God, there's your Messiah, there's your resurrected one, dead. See? Doesn't make any sense. So the friends couldn't, the enemies wouldn't. That leaves only one other possibility, that Jesus was who he claimed to be, God in the flesh. And he raised himself with his own resurrection power, that same resurrection power that he offers to all of you this morning by faith, if you'll believe. See, the resurrection says you can put truth in a grave, but it won't stay there. Look at this verse. Here's another way of kind of putting that. I love this verse, really, and I use it a lot. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to God the Father except by me. So Jesus is claiming to tell you the truth. And they put the truth in the grave, and the truth came back. Now, sometimes when I share this verse, it offends some people. They say, you Christians are so narrow-minded. You Christians are sort of bigoted, claiming this Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I would agree with you if we weren't telling you the truth. But we're telling you the truth. These are Jesus' own words. The most loving thing you can tell somebody is the truth. Wouldn't you agree with that? Imagine you're in a burning building. And the, and the smoke is rising up. You can barely breathe. Flames are nipping at your heels. And you begin to run down a long corridor hoping there's an escape route. And all of a sudden, someone says, stop. Don't go that way. Follow me. I am the way out of here. Would you turn and say, you're pretty narrow-minded to claim you're the only way out of here. That's sort of a bigoted statement there. Who do you think you are? If you did, and the response was, well, I'm the architect of this building, I designed it, and I know for certain if you go down that hallway, there's no escape route, and you will burn to death. Follow me, I am the way. Does that make sense? 
When you tell someone the truth, it's the most loving thing you can do. And I'm telling you the truth, folks. I'm quoting Jesus' own words. And Jesus does not lie. He cannot lie. He says, folks, I'm the only way. No religion can save you. Only a relationship with me. If you want to get off this planet alive. I mean with real life. You'll exist somewhere. But if you want to exist with him, you must take the escape route. The reason we can rejoice in the resurrection is because of Jesus himself. He says in Colossians 1.14, Christ bought our freedom. You don't buy it. He buys it. And what did he buy it with? What was the purchase price? According to this verse, it's his blood. We're a blood-bought church. You say, well, why can't we just shed our own blood? Because our blood's tainted. Tainted with sin. We've all fall, fallen short. My blood doesn't qualify. I could not die for you, and you could not die for me, because we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same mess. We're all sinners. Only Jesus had pure, perfect, unblemished, unstained blood. And he bought us with that blood. And he gave us freedom. Now, I want to talk about four things that Christ can, can save us and set us free from. Number one, guilt over my, here's the fill-in, wait for it, past. Jesus can save me from that. He can set me free from that. You know, guilt is the number one destroyer of our happiness. And we all feel guilty about something. We've all said something we wish we wouldn't have said. We've all done something we wish we wouldn't have done. We all have regrets. I remember the first really bad word I said in front of my mother. And listen to me. She wasn't mad at me. She wasn't angry at me. But you, when I saw the hurt in her eyes that her son would say such a word, oh, the pain, the guilt, the shame I felt. And to know that my Savior has freed me from that. And my mother still loves me. And I will see her again one day because she believed in this resurrected Savior. And one day we will be reunited. But I'm grateful that I have a God who is a God of second chances. Amen, church? Anybody need a second chance this morning? Well, He offers one to you. He can wipe the slate clean. Uh, if you ever have problems with your computer, I, I don't know much about computers, but I know I got one really messed up one time, and I gave it a reboot, a hard start, you know, where you shut it off the wrong way, where you're really not supposed to do it that way, and I just hoped for the best. And when it came back alive, it was like, uh, ah, I'm alive again, freedom, it worked. <laughs> Uh, well, God does that for us. He gives us a reboot. Ephesians 1.7 puts it like this. By the death of Christ, we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. Paul goes on to tell the Colossian church, he has canceled every record of the debt we owe. Colossians 2.14. Christ has done away with it. How? By nailing it 
to the cross. He nailed my sin to the cross. And what God has forgiven, I can forget. Now that's real freedom. I don't have to keep beating myself up over my sin because he was already beat up for me. I can quit nailing myself to the cross because Jesus was already nailed to the cross. He was hung up for our hang-ups, if you will. And he set us free. Second thing Christ can set me free from this uh, Resurrection Sunday. Worry about, guess what we worry about most? The future. The number one worry that Americans have is the future. We worry about anything and everything. (laughs) The bills, problems, our careers, uh, our families, our health. I think I told you one time that, you know, the food police are always coming up with some food that we really love and we really enjoy that they say is now bad for us. And my doctor about a year ago told me something like, well, Bruce, you really need to give up red meat. And so I no longer put ketchup on my hamburgers. (laughs) I didn't tell you that before. I thought I did. You know what worry means? It means divided mind. Have you ever had your, you said, my stomach feels like it's churning. Well, because it is. It's going in all different directions. It's kind of like, you ever see him make saltwater taffy? It pulls it one way and then yanks it back the other. That's a divided mind. When you've got a divided mind and you don't really know, you, we call that worry. And the Bible says Christ can set us free from that kind of thing. Because uh, we mentally kind of play these mental tug-of-war things in our minds like, you know, what happens in the future if I, my spouse should die? What happens if my kids should all go rogue and they don't follow the ways of the Lord. What happens if I lose my house or I lose my... And we play these games over and over again, and it's called worry, and it doesn't really help at all. As a matter of fact, Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 1-2. God's Spirit has been at work in your heart through Jesus Christ. May God grant you... Now, watch this next word. It's, it's increasing freedom... It may not happen all at once. My sin, guilt, can go away very, very quickly. And my freedom from worry may take a little while in that sanctification, big word process. But it's increasing. I have found the longer I'm in Christ, the less I worry. Can anyone else say an amen to that? The closer you get to Christ, the further you get from darkness. The closer you get to uh, light, the further you get away from what, you know, things that bothered you in the past. And so I can see clearly now because of the freedom from all anxiety and fear. My anxiety and fear level goes down when my trust goes up. And my trust isn't in me. My trust is in the Lord. Paul put it this way in Philippians 4, 6. Do not worry about anything, but, I love the buts in the Bible, pray about everything. And so I can choose. Am I going to panic or am I going to pray? Paul says, if you've got to choose one, choose prayer. Works way, way better. And, and, and besides, when has worry ever solved a problem in your life? It really doesn't, does it? Can worry change the past? Nope. Can worry control the future? Nope. About the only thing worry can do is mess up today. And yet, most people spend their lives regretting their past 
worrying about tomorrow, and messing up their todays. What's the answer? The answer is, trust your future to Christ. Trust it to Him. The same power that raised Jesus Christ on Resurrection Sunday, 2,018 years ago, is the same resurrection power that can help you rise above your problems today. You know, there are a bunch of fear nots in the Bible. Fear not, fear not, fear not seems to be the watchword. And any time you're about to take a big step in your life, God is there for you. Do you remember, I think it's Joshua, when Moses died, God says, Joshua, you're now my man. You're going to take everyone into the promised land. Go and be strong and very courageous. How many of you would like to follow Moses as the leader? And God says, you're the next one. Not me. I mean, everyone's going to think, who is Joshua? I mean, yeah, he's a good guy, but he's no Moses. And God says, don't you worry about that. You just be strong. You be very courageous. You do what I told you to do. And I will come through for you. And we all know the rest of the story. Joshua became a great leader, led the people into the promised land, and took out a a mighty city called Jericho by faith in God's plan. So don't panic. Pray. Number three, what can God or Christ set me free from? Guilt over my past. Worry about my future. And number three, purposeless living today, the here and now. And I think we've all asked at one point in our life, and you sometimes hear people say it today, why am I here? Does my life really even count? Is there any more to life than just getting up in the morning, going to work, coming home, watching television, eating a little dinner, going to bed, just to get up the next morning and do it all over again? I mean, is that all there is to life? Sort of living for the weekend? And then hopefully one day get the house paid off and the kids out of the house and retire and then die. (laughs) God, is there more to life than that? Aren't you glad this book says there's more to life than that? God has a plan for every life. He actually does. Look up here on the screen with me. Ephesians 2 verse 10. We use this verse a lot. We actually used it a few weeks ago and we showed a little video clip for we are God's workmanship. Remember we said the word workmanship means we're, we're sort of God's masterpiece? Now, we don't look like a masterpiece yet because we're a work in process. But you remember how he gets out the, the hammer and the chisel? And it's a, a little painful, but he's molding us and shaping us to look like the image of who? His son. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You mean God has a plan for me to do good works here in this life? While I'm here, there's more to life than just getting up and going to bed every day? Yeah, he's got a plan. Well, when did he plan that plan? When did he plan those good works for me to do? Which God prepared in advance for us to do. In advance means when? Before we even existed. Before you or even a thought in your parents' mind, God knew you. While you were in your mother's womb, God watched you grow. When you were born, He set in motion a series of events 
to make you uniquely you. You're monogamous, you're one of a kind. Why? Because he has a plan. Now, it's part of the church's job to help you discover your spiritual gifts, talents, abilities. Some are natural. You get some from your mom and dad's DNA, but you get a whole lot from God's DNA when you're born again. And we need to help you put that to work. Unleash that. You're going, wow, I had no idea God had a plan for my life. Yeah, come back next week. And we'll continue to grow in Christ. And we'll tell you about that. And I believe three weeks are now on the 15th of April. We are having class 101. And that's our membership class. That's the first class you take in order to move forward. And when you get to 301, we, we, we will help you understand what your spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities are. But you've got to go to 101 first if you haven't done that yet. Now, Acts 20, verse 24 says this. Life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing what, Paul? The work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Paul says, I've got a work to do, and you've got a work to do. Paul says, if I don't do that work, then I am just existing. Then I am just getting up in the morning, going to work, coming home, eating dinner, going to bed and doing it all over again. But when you know that God has a plan and you cooperate with that plan, your life is not a waste. One more thing, and I'm going to turn it over to Mike. Number four, what can Christ set me free from? Guilt, worry about my future, purposeless living, but then having to earn my way to where? Heaven. You don't have to earn it. As a matter of fact, you can't even earn it. Colossians 2, verse 20. I know the world's got some crazy ideas about how you get to heaven. You ever talk to a non-believer? They'll say, I feel or I think this. And you say, well, what's your authority? They, I don't know. It's just the way I feel. Uh, Christ has set us free from junk like that. Free from following the world's idea of how to be saved. By doing good and obeying various rules. Folks, that's the world's idea. You know, I, I talked to a guy one time and he said, well, I kind of think it's like this, Bruce. Um, I think God keeps a record of every bad deed you do and every good deed that you do. And if you die with one more good deed than you had bad deed then you get heaven. But if you had one more bad deed, then you had good deed, meh, then you get hell. Really? Is that the way that works? Yeah, I think that's the way that works. Folks, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't work that way at all. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. It doesn't work like that at all. We get in on somebody else's ticket if you want to stop and think about this. Most people think they're good people that's why they come up with illustrations like that you know dumb ideas i mean so there's movies that say you know someone goes to heaven oh you're you're too early you got to go back to earth and do a good deed and then you'll earn your wings and you can be an angel you know stuff like that that's hollywood stuff you know that's not real life stuff the the bible makes it perfectly clear it's what christ has done don't go into that worldly idea you know but you ask the typical person on the street uh, how do you get to heaven? And they just say, be a good person. And you say, are you a good person? And most people think that they are. And you say, well, can I ask you a question to see if that's true? And just ask them two or three questions. That's all it takes. Like, have you, um, 
You consider yourself to be a good person this morning if you don't know Jesus. In your mind, don't just in your mind say, you know, whatever you're going to say. Don't say it out loud. But most people on the street, you have to say, yes, I'm a very good good person. And I say, can I ask you a few questions to see if that's true? And they say, sure, go ahead. And I say, have you ever told a lie? And you know what they tell me? Oh, yeah. And I say, well, what does that make you? Uh, A human. Uh, Like everybody else. Everybody tells lies. I go, no, 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 no. If I kept telling you lies, what would you call me? Oh, I'd call you a liar. Yeah, they'll call me a liar, but they don't want to call themselves a liar. It's the ninth commandment. And lying's an offense against God. And you might say, speaking of offenses against God, have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Oh, yeah, all the time. You know, OMG, or worse, GD. Some of you may not know what that means, but innocent hearts. That's a good thing. But when you use the Lord's name inappropriately, you put your hand on a Bible, and you raise your right hand and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me, God. And you invoke the name of a holy God, and you have no intentions of telling the truth. You've just taken the Lord's name in vain. Are you getting this? If you loan me $100 today, I will pay you on Friday, and you have no intentions of paying on Friday. And you say, I swear to, and you use the name of God to back up your claim. Do you see how you, God will not hold you guiltless when you do that. He, that's a very serious crime. That's the third commandment. There's only ten. That's number three on the list. And we can go on and on and on like that. All it takes is one. How, how many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? Just one. How many sins did Adam and Eve commit? They didn't have ten commandments. They had one. Leave my tree alone. They couldn't do it. How many... How many murders do you got to commit to be a murderer, folks? Just one. How many sins do you have to commit, ask Adam and Eve, to be separated from God? Just one. Do you see why we need a Savior? Do you see why we need someone to help us? I mean, there's two plans to get to heaven. I mean, you can choose plan A, and that is just be perfect from the time you're born to the time you die. I've chosen plan B because I've already failed at plan A. I'm going to get in on somebody else's ticket. And that somebody else's name was Jesus Christ. Romans 4 verse 4 says, You don't earn the right to heaven. It is a gift. You remember the video we watched, that package that's empty? That's the gift God has for you. If a person could earn it by being good, then it wouldn't be free. But it is. You don't get to heaven by keeping rules. You don't get to heaven... By following the regulations. You don't get to heaven by following certain rituals. And let me tell you, you don't get to heaven by following any religion. No religion in the world can save. You get to heaven by having a relationship with the one that came out of the tomb on the third day. His name is Jesus Christ. One day you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, Why should I let you into my heaven? You can choose plan A and say, I never sinned. I'm a really good person. But what have you just done? You've made God a liar because God has already said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All includes me, all includes you. And God was there when when you did it, right? 
He knew the background leading up to it. He knew the intention in your heart. He knows the whole deal. Or you can go with plan B. This is the one I've chosen. Accept the free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ. That's what I'm putting my trust in. So it's no accident that you're here today. We have a full house, and we're glad to see each and every one of you. We hope you'll, you'll receive Mike's invitation to come back and uh, be with us again and again and again and, and learn more about this Savior. But here's what I want you to know this morning. God brought you here today to say, I care about you. I love you. You matter to me. And yes, you too can live guilt-free and worry-free, and you don't have to earn your way to heaven. The good news is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. And let me add that, add to that. The gospel is not only good news if it gets there in time. It may get there in time. Mike, come on up. The gospel is being offered to you today, and Mike's going to share that with you in a moment. But it's only good news when it's received. So God's on time, and you're on time, and Mike's going to tell you how to receive it right now. You know, normally we, um, normally we don't do altar calls or invitations. Sometimes we do every once in a while. Or we'll get a guest speaker in here and they'll do one and we see a lot of people responding to that. But, um, you know, here at Crosspoint, we're, we're certainly not interested in playing church, right? We're not interested in going through the motions and we can very easily sometimes go through that, fall into routines of just going to church or doing a little something here, a little something there. But the truth is that the Lord Jesus Christ is looking for disciples, for followers. And in the Gospels, he's very clear about what a disciple is. It's not just somebody who calls themselves by a certain title like Christians or followers. He says, if you're going to be my disciples, you need to deny yourself. You need to pick up your cross daily and follow me. He says, if you're not willing to leave behind father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, husband, wife, you're not worthy to be my disciples. But he's ne- it's never also a call for perfection, so that nobody should feel like, mm, I mean, I'm not perfect, I'm not uh, qualified. So I want to share with you a little bit about what it means to be qualified to be a disciple of the Lord. And what I want to encourage you is to really listen and, and, and consider and evaluate yourself and ask yourself if you have ever really committed your life to Jesus Christ, for Him to be your Lord and your Savior. Because if you haven't, then it's very possible that you've just been playing church. It was never His intention to come and die on a cross for our sins, just so that we could feel a little bit better about where we're at in life. He came to offer us life, life more abundant. And it's probably very different from what all of us experience. I think we have to realize that what God is offering us is so much more than what we have now. And I speak for that personally. As we continue to grow in faith and we continue to grow in His Word, we realize how much more awesome God is and how much we lack. But that's the beauty of being a follower of Christ. He's always ahead of us saying, follow me. 
keep going. The best is yet to come. And so I want to speak to some of you who, you know, I'm also perhaps, well, I'm not here to do the Holy Spirit's work, so no pressure on me. The Lord Jesus Christ said to Nicodemus, you know, don't try to figure out how the Spirit works. You see, it's like the wind. You hear it, you kind of feel it, but you really don't know where it comes from or where it goes. That's how the Holy Spirit works. So I trust that the Holy Spirit is doing the work in some of you, maybe in all of us in different ways. But I know that a lot of you have been coming to our church and you haven't made a commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The good old saying of one foot in, one foot out. A little bit of here, not so much over there. I'll, be, I'll act like a Christian at church, but not at work. You know, not with my friends, not with... All that stuff's got to stop, beloved. The invitation is for the Lord to follow, to follow Him wholeheartedly, to commit. And so I know there's a lot of you that have been coming to church. We were talking about this in the eldership and among some of the leaders. And we say, you know, every once in a while we need to do something special to give everybody an opportunity who's been hearing the gospel, whom, the, whom God has been speaking to in their hearts, who may be ready to make a commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to really surrender their lives and really begin to experience what a true relationship with God is really like. He's calling for disciples. And you don't have to compare yourself to anybody. Oh, I'm not like Bruce. I'm not like Keith. I'm not like Tony. You don't have to be. The Lord knows you inside out. He knows you better than you know yourself. Chris Tomlin says in one of his songs, you search the depths of my heart and you love me the same. He's an amazing God, beloved. And he's calling you. And his heart is to have a relationship with you. A relationship that requires a couple of things. One, it requires for you to admit. To be sincere with yourself and admit the fact that you need a Savior. If you don't understand that you need a Savior, then Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross is of no use to you. He came to die for sinners in need of saving. You need to admit the fact that you are a sinner and that you fall short. That's just that's what the Bible says already. That's probably what you knew already. He's also looking for repentance. In Romans it says that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Somewhat like what Bruce said when he offended his mom by that bad word that he said, whatever that was, we don't need to know what it was. But then he saw his mom's heart being broken. And I bet you Bruce didn't continue doing the same thing. He repented of that. He realized that what he did was wrong and he offended and hurt somebody. Well, we need to realize that our sin offends God, every single one of them. And it requires repentance. We can't continue the same. Repentance is, is also a sign. How do you know you're a Christian? If you keep living the same, there hasn't been a change in your life. Repentance means there's a change in mind that inevitably causes a change in your behavior, in your character, in your life, in your actions. And he calls us for surrender, beloved. You got to stop fighting. You got to stop fighting. You got to say, I, I give up. And some of us fight the Lord when we find ourselves at the end of our rope. But God is really saying, That's exactly where I need you to be. When we feel that we can't do it on your own, that's what God loves to step in. When you realize, God, I, I can't get rid of my sin, he will tell, tell you, Yeah, I. 
told you that before. If you would have read my word, you, you can't get rid of your sin. That's why I sent my son. So it requires surrender to stop fighting, to realize that he is the sovereign ruler of this universe and of your soul. And he also requires you to accept that gift of salvation, as we saw the video. To accept that gift of salvation, to realize that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And it's not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. There isn't one thing you could add to your salvation. Jesus said at the cross, it is finished. He did the work. And quite possibly the part that I'm here for is because you need to commit. Jesus said, follow me. And to follow him requires a commitment to say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. I don't know exactly where we're going, but what you've told me is enough. I will follow you. I believe that you are the architect of my life, of this planet, of this universe. You are in control of everything, and I am willing to follow you and trust you. And so, beloved, I, I work with the youth a lot, some, and I know that there's a lot of young people that have been hearing the gospel week after week. They come to Sunday school, they come to youth group, they go to our trips, and they hear and I trust what the Bible says, that the Word of God is living and powerful and able to convert our souls. And so if you've been hearing the gospel, you know that God's been calling you and speaking to your heart. Beloved, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 21, that God, as it were, through us, is begging you to consider Surrendering unto him and embracing his gift of salvation and his lordship in your life. Paul said, today is a day of salvation, not referring necessarily to a 24-hour period, but what are you waiting for? The invitation is not always going to be there. You never know. You never know. No matter how healthy you think you are, no matter how well off you are, no matter how long your parents lived, you never know when is your last day here on this earth. And the Lord says, come. The Lord says, follow me. What are you waiting for? Joshua says, hey, if I'm not enough, then fine. But if I am, what are you waiting for? So I want to invite you, beloved. I want to invite you to consider that, I know we're going to have baptisms in a little bit. There's some people that have expressed a desire to be baptized, and we praise God for that. But I would, uh, I would highly encourage you to consider the Lord's call to follow Him, to surrender your life to Him, to accept this free gift of salvation, to say, I've been a little flaky. I've been a little lukewarm and God says I'm going to spit you out of my mouth that's not where you want to be you want to be committed to him it's not a call to perfection but it is a call to surrender so as our band plays what I want to do is I want to lead you in a prayer I want to lead you in a prayer that directs our attention to him that expresses our gratitude to him 
that expresses our need of Him. And beloved, after the service, we're going to have several of our elders and their wives ready to pray for you, ready to speak to you, ready to answer prayers, Luis and Leti, Hedbert and Leti, and there's, there's others of us, especially if you're wearing one of these, you can certainly come in and talk to us. It is our privilege, it is our purpose that our mission at Crosspoint to glorify God by lovingly pointing people to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and growth. Many of you, by God's grace, are saved, and you rejoice in His gift of salvation, and you're secure in what He's promised. But many of you have not made the decision, beloved. And many of you think you've made a decision, but you have nothing to show for. I would, I would consider... I would ask you to consider what does it mean for you to be a follower of Christ? And what is the evidence there for you? It's not about criticizing. It's not about judging. It's about asking you to really consider what do you got to prove that you are a follower of Christ, that you have been born again, that your sins have been forgiven, that there is a point in your life where you were committed your life to the Lord to follow Him. And you could say it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I have been crucified together with Christ. If there's some of you out there that, that you know you need to make that commitment, beloved, I would invite you to do so. If you want to come up here, I will pray with you. If you're thinking like, well, I'm not really used to doing that. Well, I'm not used to making altar calls either. <laughs> then maybe that's what we've been doing wrong. Maybe we're too comfortable. Maybe we're just happy with going through the motions. I would beg you to consider where you're at and just understand the fullness that God is offering you. Ask questions. Seek Him and you will find Him. The worst thing you could do is nothing. Follow Him, commit to Him, surrender your life to Him. He will show you things that you cannot imagine and take you places that you never dreamed of. The invitation is always there, but I can't tell you how long the invitation is going to be there for you. Don't be afraid to commit. That's what surrender is about. Don't worry about what if I mess up. You are going to mess up. Let's get that out of the way now. He will take you. He will save you. He will sanctify you through His Holy Spirit and His Word. He will plug you into His family. You will be born again with a new mind. He will take that heart of stone that you have and He will give you a heart of flesh. There is no better invitation. There is no better offer out there than to come and begin a relationship with God the one who made you for that very reason to enjoy a relationship with the Creator forever. If God is speaking to your heart, beloved, pray with me. Pray with me. If everything I'm saying doesn't make sense to you, definitely pray. We're praying for you. But there's no room for shame. There's no room for, you know, for self. There is no room for self. 
You can't have a little bit of God and a little bit of you with a little bit of the world and a little bit of... It's got to be all in, beloved. All in. Trust Him. Believe in what He's done for you. He loves you and we love you. And as I look out, you know, I see, I see a lot of faces that, that I know God wants to see in His kingdom, serving Him wholeheartedly. It's not about you, it's all about Him. If you find yourself thinking like, well, I don't know, because of this and me, that and me, you have your eyes on the wrong person. Put your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pray. This is a prayer that you can pray. You don't have to pray this prayer. It could be something similar. It expresses a lot of the things that, that a person that comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ will express in one way or another to him. Let's pray. Dear God, our Lord and Savior, I believe in Jesus Christ, that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, God himself, and that he proved it by rising from the dead, and it is that which we celebrate today. I want to get to know you personally and experience the freedom you offer this Resurrection Sunday. I admit that I am a sinner. I realize that I cannot save myself. Lord, I accept your free gift of salvation. And I stand ready to take that next step. To follow you, to surrender unto you, and to accept you as my Lord and Savior. And it is in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. Amen.